Michael McMullen, welcome once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast, where I'm very pleased to be joined this week by one of the friendliest lads you could meet on the circuit. It's the former European Masters champion, Jimmy Robertson. Jimmy, welcome along. Nice one. Cheers for having me. 20 years ago this year that you made your debut on the professional circuit. Hard to believe. You were only turning 16 at the time, and you only stayed on for one season. Was it a bit of an overwhelming experience being so young and being on the pro tour? Um, Yeah, looking back at it, back then, 16 years old, qualified for the tour, I was only a kid really um i sort of went from one of one of the top juniors to uh missing out all the amateur level and uh got my tour card through getting to the final of the world junior playoffs and uh yeah it's a massive step up and i wasn't quite ready even though i thought that i might be able to do something but a million miles away um i think i won my first game on a tour i found it really hard um lost every game after that and uh I say it was a learning curve, but I went back to the drawing board after that and started practicing like normal and sort of gained all my amateur going in all the tournaments again and in all the, I forget, Euro Pro ticket tours, I think they were um, called back then, and the English amateurs and all that sort of stuff. So I played in all of them, got my experience and then got back on later on. And what's it like when you've achieved your dream, as you think, of becoming a professional snooker player, and then a year later, you're off the tour and you're back in the amateur ranks for the next few years? Was it disheartening? Yeah, it is. But back then, I used to have um, sponsors and there's kids coming on now, all all the Chinese kids and stuff, that they've all sort of got each other. They're all lovely. It's it's tough for them moving over here and, and being away from home, but they've all got each other and... They seem like they enjoy enjoy life over here. Whereas I was 16 back then, and I just I still felt like a kid living at home. Um, I didn't really have any money. My parents were sort of helping me out. Um, it was tough. It was tough. And, and like I say, when I got on when I was 16, I wasn't quite ready. I missed all the experience from all the amateur level. Found it tough. Wasn't earning any money. But it wasn't a massive, massive issue because I was still living at home. I didn't have responsibilities back then. And uh, it's only now, looking back at it, when you've got a family and kids and a house to pay for, that you can't sort of be on the tour and not earn any money. And ultimately, you discover that the actual dream is not getting onto the tour. It's actually making an impact and getting to the big venues. And once you got back on, after a few years, you beat former champion Ken Doherty to qualify for the Crucible for the first time. That was a big landmark for you, really announcing yourself. Yeah, that was massive. Um, obviously, when I was a kid, I always wanted to obviously do as well as well as you could in any tournament. But to qualify for the Crucible, obviously, everybody wants to play there. So beating Ken, I think I was 6-3 down in that match as well when I come back and beat him 10-6. So that was one of the biggest buzzes of, of my pro career um, at that time. And there's uh, sort of been slow progress since, but um, I'm sort of going in the right direction now. Yeah, and we'll talk about the massive progress you've made, actually, in the last few years. But when you did get to the Crucible, he played Mark Selby. He hadn't won it yet, but he was already pretty much the best player in the world. You won the opening frame, but you got a bit of a lesson after that. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was. I never settled down the whole game. Um, I won the first frame, though. I was so nervous. I, I just remember walking out. I had quite... A, few people out there watching me from my area and um so I had a lot of support but that, that in a way made made me even more nervous um I won the first frame I was just so shaky and so sort of jelly I, I never felt comfortable never settled and you watch some people sort of qualify for, for them big tournaments now and they thrive from it and other people like myself sort of 
shy away. And um, I struggled big time, lost 10-1. But um, got a bit of experience from it and I couldn't wait to get back. In the years after that, I think we were all surprised that you weren't making more progress because we knew how much ability you had. What was it like for you then, Jimmy, coming towards your 30s and you'd yet to really make the impact that we knew you could? Yeah, it's frustrating because like, I was always practicing hard, doing most of the right things. Um, and what you see, I know so many people talk about their practice game and this and that, but until you do it where it actually matters, it doesn't really mean a lot. It's nice to know what you're capable of doing, which is why it's always sort of given me the belief what I needed going forward. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a frustrating early start of the career, but like I say, it's it's sort of going in the right direction now so hopefully I've got a few more years and around that time I remember you talking about how frustrated you were that you weren't delivering when it really mattered and you worked with a sports psychologist for a while yeah I um I think it was 2017 I think I started working with somebody um or maybe 2018 um started working with someone called Martin Perry and uh like I sort of struggled with coaches over the years because the way that my technique is, it isn't the same as the majority of players on the tour. So that's never really been something that I've been super interested in doing is my technique side of things, whereas dealing with the mental side, the mental side of the of the game, um, is far more important to me um, to sort of hold yourself together in, in big occasions. So that's what I've struggled with over the years. And uh, so I started working with Martin Perry and uh, it was something new. It's not for everybody because you've got to want to, you've got to want to do it and you've got to take it in and, and believe everything, what you're talking about. Um, but it's good to have somebody to talk to, to get all your sort of problems out and, and they can try and fix your problems as such. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a step forward and obviously we've done quite good things, but near the end it sort of, I started going backwards again a little bit after that. Lost a lot of confidence when I kept losing and um, there was no new stuff, so it's time to move on. When you'd been doing that work, did you start to feel different out in the arena? Are you aware of the work you've done when you're out there playing? Yeah, you are, definitely. Um, just gives you things to think about and, and certain situations in matches you can relate to what you spoke about to try and calm you down. Obviously, you still got to go out there and do it and, and pop the balls and... You're only ever on the telly in them big occasions against all the top players in the world, so the cameras are on you as well, so it's, it's, it's tough. But any little thing that can try and help me, I'm willing to do. And, um, yeah, we, we had a couple of good seasons together, but like I say, near the end, I started losing matches, then I lost all my confidence and nothing. there was no new stuff coming, so it's time to move on from him. Well, let's talk about those good seasons and good results that you did have. It seemed incredible that a player of your ability had never been further than the last 16 until you went to Germany in 2018 and got to the quarterfinals of the German Masters. So how much of a turning point was that for you? And what are your memories of that week? Uh, I think that was the one. Did I beat Anthony Hamilton, I think, and Gary Wilson. And then I lost to Mark Williams 5-3 in the quarters. Um, so yeah, that was a big step forward. I... I I had some deep runs in the old PTCs, like some semi-finals yeah. and stuff in the PTCs, which they were classed as minor ranking events back then. But um, yeah, a, like one quarter final, basically. That was the first quarter final. It's, it's not a record that I'd like to <laughs> go around bragging about. But um, no, I struggled. Like I say, I struggled. I struggled with the mental side of, of things. When you got to the, the big occasions, I sort of, I froze, if you like. 
and um, it's only now when I'm starting to feel more comfortable about myself. But you did all right in that quarterfinal, as you say, 5-3. Did you look back at it and think you'd missed a chance to get to a semi? Yeah, I did. But um, yeah, like, I felt all right. But I think it's with anything. Once you get on a run in any tournament, once you get on any sort of run and you're winning matches, then that's when you can have like deep runs in tournaments and, and anything's possible. You truly, it's only then you start to believe you can really go on and, and do something like if you're just winning matches qualifying for tournaments turning up getting beat going back to the practice table doing the same thing and and sort of nicking a living if you like um it's tough but to actually have deep runs and get to later stages of tournaments that's what fills you with confidence and belief and and then you really believe that you can go on and do things and sometimes it helps if a few things fall your way, you come through a few close finishes and that gives you a bit of momentum. And that was certainly the story of your European Masters <laughs> campaign, wasn't it? You died a million deaths in the early rounds of that tournament, but somehow yeah. survived. Yeah, I should have been out, I think, the first four matches. Um, I think it's 4-3-4-3-4-3-4-3. And they were close final frames as well. Yeah, all, they? they were all on, I think, the first one against Andy Lee, I won on the pink. And then the next three were all on the black. I think two of them might have been on a respot. It was just incredible. Like, I should have been out literally every single game. I was behind in quite a few of the games as well. I was 3-0 down to Anthony McGill in the last 16. Um, but I just kept missing match balls and, and all sorts was going on. So then the interviewers start sort of saying, is it written in stars? Could it be your week? Blah, blah, blah. And you, then you, you believe, why not? Because it, it was just incredible. If you watched every game... I mean, I should have been out four four matches in a row, and I, and I got through. And it's only from the quarters where I actually started to feel confident and feel feel like I could play. Like at the start, I was sort of struggling a little bit, and I was just sticking in there, scrapping away. And um, but from the quarterfinals, I, I started to play not not fully hundred percent, but I started to play a little bit how I can play. And uh, yeah, I started getting more confident. And you end up in the final against Joe Perry. And he was in the same situation as you, really, because I know he had won a tournament in Thailand, but there was nobody there that he knew, and he really wanted to win a big full-scale ranking event a bit closer to home. So although he was technically a ranking event winner, he was really looking for the breakthrough the same as you. And you go 5-0 up. So what are you thinking then? Yeah, it was an incredible start. Um, I knew my family were coming out there as well. So um, my friend's a taxi driver, and uh, he brought everybody over in a, in a minibus. Um, well, on the morning up, of it? Or the yeah, night on the before? morning. They left, they left, I think, like something like six o'clock in the morning. They got the ferry over. Um, no, Euro, Eurostar or Eurotunnel or whatever it is. And uh, they got there at the interval when I was four new up. So I see my kids. And then uh, it didn't distract me. But um, yeah, it was just nice, like nice relaxed feeling that they were there watching and uh, five nil up, I couldn't believe like the score that I'm in a in a ranking event final five nil up, and then uh, sort of I lost the last three frames, which was a little bit of a disaster. But then we went back to the we were staying at centre parks, and uh, we went back to the room. It was just so chilled out, it took my mind completely off what had just happened. And at the end of the day, if someone would have said, "Would you take being five three up in the final?" I'd have took that all day long. So went back out there, started like started again, went seven three up. And then he started coming back at me, so there's a bit of pressure, but yeah, I finished well. Well, Joe's a battler, isn't he? And what are you thinking when he's coming back at you? Is it a case of, just let me get over the line and I'll never ask for anything yeah. else again? I just want this so much. Yeah, no, I did. I, I did want it so much. And um, I, don't, I don't really remember what I was thinking at the time, but 
he hadn't really missed a ball for three frames from seven threes, hardly missed a ball. I think he had two centuries and two sixties. Um, and I remember, because I've watched it back quite a few times, as you can imagine. Mm. And uh, I think I made a 50-odd, which ended up getting me over the line to go 8-6. And then I parted good red in the last and finished off with a century. So it was the one of the best feelings in my life. And what age were your kids then? My girl, she must have been maybe one. Mm. And um, yeah, she would have been one. And my boy would have been maybe four. So great, obviously, to win a ranking event, but yeah. just a million times better. That that's a memory you'll always be able to share. They might not remember it, but I'm sure you've got pictures, and you can tell them they were there in Belgium. Yeah, I've got pictures, and and yeah, no one can ever take that memory away. I've got pictures. I've I watched the video. They've seen the video as well. Back, it was a great. Uh, and they was there when I was being interviewed and stuff. So yeah, it's a great memory. I've always got that. If I never do anything in the game again, I've always got that. But no, I'd, I'd, I've had a taste of what that feels like now and I'd love to do it again. I was playing well after that and then there was a period where all of a sudden I started losing and, and that's when I was sort of, I just lost confidence. Like as soon as you start losing some matches then you lose another one, then you lose another one and all of a sudden from, I didn't think that winning that tournament, oh, that's it, I've cracked it now and, and I can go on and do big things. Not straight away anyway, I, mean, I knew I had to work hard still. It was just meant to be that week was my week. But yeah, I, I sort of struggled a little bit after that. I, I was winning matches after that tournament. And then later on in the season, I started losing a lot of first rounds and I lost my confidence. And that's sort of what come coming into the next season. Then I was under quite a lot of pressure because I was losing, losing a lot of matches. And with COVID, we was losing a lot of tournaments. So I was under a lot of pressure when I nearly, nearly fell off the tour. Yeah, it was amazing to go from ranking event winner to danger of relegation. Yeah. But how did you turn it around then, Jimmy? Because last season was probably your, your best yet. So what got you back on track? Um, again, like that season that, that I was struggling with, I knew, I think we only had 10 tournaments to go at because um, of COVID. And then I was losing first rounds. I was actually playing all right, practicing hard, playing all right, but just I couldn't win. Everyone seemed to be potting the balls and, and playing really well against me. So... Again, that was time to... There was some chap called A.P. O'Neill, another sports sports head coach. Uh, we got in contact with my dad and I spoke to my dad about things and it was something that I felt like, yeah, I'll give this another go um, with, with somebody else. So I started working with him for half of the season, the last half of the season, and, and we'd done enough to just... <laughs> coming into the world championships I needed to win that game but mm. we've done enough I got over the line kept my tour card then I had a whole season with him last season as well so yeah it's uh sometimes when you're struggling you just need to try and look at things that can try and help you basically and uh yeah that definitely helped me and as I was saying last season certainly in terms of consistency was arguably the best of your career you got to the semi-finals of the British Open, and the way things are set up now, if you have a big result like that, that creates more opportunity. And that was a big reason that you then got into the Players' Championship, where you got to another semi-final, great wins against Luca Brussel, John Higgins, two of the players of the season. The semi-final then against Neil Robertson, it was 6-1, the clash of the Robertsons. You would look at that and think, well, maybe Neil blew him away, but when you actually see the match... It wasn't like that. So is it something you look back on with regrets that you could have got to the final? Yeah, um, definitely. Obviously, Neil's, Neil, look, Neil's a class act. I mean, he's probably 
well, he's top three player in the top three players in the world. So um, it was a massive, massive occasion, massive test for me. But sort of a massive underdog with not too much to lose. Um, it was disappointing how I played. I didn't go out there. I was a bit tense. I didn't fully relax. It was quite a scrappy game. Um, six ones, a bit flattering. Um, I had chances. It weren't like he, he had six big breaks and blew me away, like you say. But um, I didn't take my chances, and, and you have to take your chances against him players because you don't get let off. So it was uh, it was a couple of things that I'd do differently, knowing how it went this time. Like obviously, you get a lot of support from everybody. Um, I found myself going through everybody's messages, for instance, and replying to everybody. And, and rather than resting and relaxing and, and having a good sleep, I was so excited and so buzzing that I've got big semi-finals mm-hmm. and. It's just a few things that I'd do differently next time if it happens. Um, but yeah, I'll learn from it. Great season for you, as I was saying, though. And it also included a very quirky frame at the Scottish Open against Lee Walker, where you scored 178 points. Now, that's a record that might never be beaten. Yeah. So how does it uh, happen? I think I snookered him. I snookered him. Um, I was 3 one up, I think. I snookered him, and he's given me 40-odd points in fouls. And then I think I made... I don't know what it was, 133 maybe, um, to make 178 points, which obviously Dominic come up and see me in one of the tournaments after because the record was his before mm. that. But I didn't know. like I didn't have a clue that I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you. I didn't think, right, I'm on for a world record here. Um, but obviously, as soon as I'd done that, then I think I was being interviewed and people were texting me saying that uh, I've got the record, which, look, it's nice to have any record at this game because it's so tough. But... Um, Yes, it's a record that isn't too isn't too important, but it's nice to hold a record. It is, and Dominic held it, I think, for about 20 years, so goodness yeah. knows how long it'll be before anyone comes along and beats that, if it ever happens. Overall then, Jimmy, as we sit here now, you're only 36 years of age, so yeah. I mean, that's young in snooker terms nowadays. How would you assess it overall in terms of where you are now compared to where you might have thought you'd be by this stage? Um, look, when you're a kid, obviously everybody has massive dreams and ambitions. It's harder than than what you think when you're a kid watching on the telly. You think, yeah, I love this game. I want a bit of that. Um, I'm going in the right direction now, but obviously it's, it's taken quite a long time to... Basically, you've got to feel comfortable out there on the main stage. Um, it's all right winning qualifiers and sort of holding your ranking. You can earn a living doing that. But obviously, to go deep in tournaments, you've got to be comfortable playing on the main TV table, which I'm still not fully there yet, but I'm feeling as best as I can feel right now in my career. So I'm um, going in the right direction, but hopefully yeah, there's a lot more to, to come yet. You can witness world-class snooker in Edinburgh from the 28th of November to the 4th of December at the Bet Victor Scottish Open. Defending champion Luca Brussel will be aiming to keep a hold of the Stephen Hendry Trophy at the Meadowbank Sports Centre. But a star-studded cast, including Scotland's four-time world champion John Higgins, will have their own title aspirations. Tickets are selling fast, so act now and get yours at wst.tv forward slash tickets. I started off by describing you as, I think, one of the friendliest lads on the circuit. The same also applies to Mark Davis. And he's been a big part of your career as well, hasn't he? He has, yeah. I, look, I, owe, I owe a lot to Mark over the years. Like We've practised with each other for God knows how many years. Um, so hopefully 
he keeps his tour card. Obviously, he's, he's such a good player, and um, like he's in a little bit of a battle to this this season. It's tough when you're not winning matches, and then you get stinking draws as well. Um, but look, we practice with each other f- maybe three times a week, so I owe him a lot um, over the years with the amount of practice and stuff that I've learned from him, and sort of learned because he's got such a good all-round game. And when we practice, we practice properly. And we both want to beat each other, so it's none of this messing around stuff. So when we're on the practice table, we're both trying our hardest to beat each other. So that's uh, helped me out massively over the years. Is it right that you own the club where you practice? Yeah, like I think it was 12 years ago, I took out a business loan. It was my dad's idea. Um, I got a business loan and it was it was for a backup if I didn't do anything at, at, at this game. So I started to win more matches on the snooker tour I took a back seat from where I used to work down there as well but then I just fully full time practicing I'm concentrating on the snooker dad was running the club and, and now to be honest with you I have nothing to do with the club but I say my, basically my dad runs a club owns the club um, but it was like a backup business if, if I didn't do anything in the game so it's nice that we can say that we own it as a family um and uh, we've got the keys. It don't open till like 12 o'clock, but obviously we can get in there from any time we want. Nine o'clock after I do the school run normally. Get in there about nine, half nine. Do your practice, a lot of it, before the customers come down at 12, half 12. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing to have a, have a backup, might have a business. Um, but like I say, I haven't had nothing to do with it for quite a few years. But I guess it will be something for you to get into then whenever you do stop playing. But presumably yeah. you see that day being a long way off. Yeah, hopefully. Look, we've... we've how many sort of late 40s and 50 year olds that are on the tour now as long as I can sort of stay fit um, I know I need to do a bit more fitness but as long as I can stay fit and healthy and and uh, still have the hunger and the practicing um, I can stay on the tour for quite a few more years so yeah I'm not even looking looking into that just yet I've been enjoying the chat so much Jimmy I almost forgot to do the quickfire round where we <laughs> ask you a few things about yourself so let's come to that favourite song Favourite song? I'm on the spot. I'm terrible when I'm on the spot. I can't even <laughs> think. My mind's gone this. blank. I like um, a bit of Luther Vandross. The ideal way for you to spend a day off? Day off. In the summer, I like a game of golf. But no, normally just a nice little chilled day out. I love a little trip away with the kids. Mm. Um, yeah, or, or beach or swimming or a little getaway for a couple of days. So, Or, or golf, yeah. And the best place you've been to on holiday? Turkey, we're not going to Turkey. Mm. Your favourite movie? Favourite movie? Um, it'd have to be something like uh, Green Street or Football Factory, something along them lines. And players you'd go on a night out with? Night out with, that'd have to be Milkman. Rob Milkins. Ah, Rob Milkins, yeah. yeah. He knows how to have a good time. Well, listen, I'm sure there'd be no shortage of players who would like to join you for a night out, Jimmy, because I know you're really well liked on the tour and everyone was delighted that you got the win in Belgium and we'd love to see more success from you. Thanks so much for joining us on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Nice one. Thanks for having me. Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, I'll be talking to Hamad Mia about his life and career so far, including a current family situation which spans two continents and why his promising run at last year's British Open didn't lead to a breakthrough season. Every time it's just complacent. You just get complacent. You like that. Like you get. You just uh, like you have. Like that was at the beginning of the season. So you're thinking, okay, you've not played great, but you, you're still pulling out some results. So you feel like, okay, this season could be the season where that you've been yearning for. And then um, 
yeah, it's just you got to stay on the ball literally throughout the whole season. And that season, I was going back and forth to Uzbekistan. I must have went about six, seven times in that season. So that's coming up next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast. And don't forget our bonus content, The 147, rounding up the week's snooker headlines in 147 seconds, out every Tuesday and available to download at wst.tv. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.